This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome. This is our bonus Q&A episode of Books of the Year. Terry Hayes is here, best-selling author, occasional screenwriter. Uh, and hopefully you heard our previous episode when he was talking about his brand new book, uh, which is called The Year of the Locust. And it's a monster. I do it actually is. think it's the kind of book that Kindle was invented for. <laughs> so you can actually yeah. just put it in your back pocket or something and it weighs no more than Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, question number one for you, Terry. What is the last book that you really, really enjoyed reading um probably catcher in the rye uh which i reread we're not going back that far in history it got so tough doing locust i had to be very very careful uh about what i was doing you know you if you read really really good books new good books it rather destroys my confidence i think oh my god why do I bother doing this? So there's a lot of incentive to read really, really bad books because then you say to yourself, well, they got published. Yeah. I can't be that useless. And that, so my time was, you know, four kids, wife, moving around the world, COVID, all of those things. I cannot think of a new book that I read that I thought was wonderful. I did go back. I read Catcher in the Rye. I read The Great Gatsby. I read the Hemingway books again. And that, it comforts me. It, it brings comfort to me to think, gee, you know, I'm one of them. I'm not as good as them. I don't have their talent. But, geez, you know, this is... This is a great thing to do. And because they're dead, I don't feel jealous. <laughs> yeah. So when, you, so when you're going through a tough period in writing your books, when you're having a tough period, which you said writing Locust, you would find solace in another book, in J.D. Salinger? Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. Inspiration? Yes. Yeah, not inspiration. I'd think because I, I could put myself, oh, I don't know accurately, but figuratively in his shoes. And I think... How did he think that up? My God, he really stretched out there. He really went for it. He must have been walking through Central Park and wondered to himself, what happens to those ducks? You know, uh, I mean, in Pilgrim, the um, uh, our hero, Pilgrim, goes to a school called Caulfield Academy in Connecticut. Well, Holden Caulfield, it was my hat tip yeah. to, to Salinger. And the book is full of... Pilgrim and Locust are full of little things that mean something to me. So, yes, you're right. If I solace, I feel, I feel pride. And I, and I think, not inspiration, but I think, Terry, get up and try a bit harder. Other people have done it. You can do it. Is there an idea in a book, Terry, or a plot, a plot line that you've that you wish you'd thought of that you've you've seen and and cascades of jealousy have, have fallen over your head as you're thinking, oh, I wish I'd come up with that. Yeah, born. 
born the, the born identity that to me that was the best opening to any spy book you'd fishermen out there drag a body out of the water and uh, he's half dead he has no memory of how he got in there the they take him to a doctor the the doctor says you know you've got this scar on your thigh opens it up and there's a microchip for a secret bank account in switzerland i'm thinking to myself i am there yeah. i am there it oh yeah yeah, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favourite place to write? And is it the same as your favourite place to read? No, no. I, I, I generally read lying on the couch. Writing doesn't matter to me. Uh, Tom Keneally, you know, really, really good Australian author of Schindler's List and a lot of other things. And uh, Tom said that he lives... Uh, very close to where I grew up, uh, three beaches down. He had, he had a house with a spectacular view over a place called Bilgola Beach. And uh, you could look down on the Pacific Ocean, the surf rolling in. I guess if you had a pair of binoculars, you could see all the young women and men sunbaking. He said he never got any work done. Never. He said what he had to do was turn the desk around and look at the blank wall. And I've, I feel much the same. I mean, I've written movies in airport departure lounges. I've written them in motel rooms in Broken Hill, underground in, in Coober in Australia, in luxury houses in Los Angeles. Anyway, it doesn't matter to me. All I need is a computer screen and some peace and quiet. Is there a book or books that stand out to you from your childhood, um, preferably ones that you would have bought yourself, like with your pocket money, that you'd have gone out to rather than being given to you by, by friends or family? Yeah, we didn't buy books at home. Not not initially. My, my parents could never have afforded that. Um, so, but my my dad read a lot, and so when I was about ten or eleven, he took me up to um, to the local library and signed me up in the adult section. You weren't allowed to enter the adult section at my age, but I'd given up on naughty <laughs> and that. So, um, so yeah, the, the the books that that really stood out to me as a very young person was Hammond in and Neville shoot. Nobody reads Hammond Innes anymore, but boy, were they adventurous. And and I, I loved reading those books when I was young. Neville Shoot, um, I think, wrote a couple of really great books. So, so that was... And then I got into, a little bit later, Somerset Maugham and that travelling around the world, meeting people and those very unusual stories that he told. From there, it was into C.S. Forrester, the Hornblower series, African Queen, The Gun, all of these things. And it was interesting. Most of those <laughs> writers I knew, they were crippled in one way or another. So I don't know whether that's why they became writers, but they had some physical impediment. So I keep thinking to myself, you can't be that good, Terry. <laughs> you're, you're relatively fit. <laughs> Um, we always like to uh, surprise our guests, if we can, with a question from a fellow author uh, and fan. So we have a voice note here from best-selling author and friend of this uh, podcast, Anthony Horowitz. Hi, Simon, Matt and Terry. I really enjoyed I'm a Pilgrim when it came out nine years ago. And here's my question. They say that the second book is always the hardest for any writer. And I wonder if you were in some way intimidated by the enormous success of Pilgrim. Also, the world has changed with the new sensitivity, cancel culture, and all that. And I wonder if you found writing The Year of a Locust harder this time. Anyway, good luck. I can't wait to read it. 
Well, thank you very much. And what a great author. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it was very, very difficult I, uh, because of the success of the first one. I, um, I got very depressed, which is counterintuitive, about the success of the first one. You know, all my life I'd wanted to be a novelist and suddenly it arrives and you're scratching your head and you're thinking, my God, look at where this came from. And there was a huge hole in my life. It was as if desire had finally been taken away from me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't. I, I, I didn't want to screw it up by writing a really bad book. I didn't want to write. I thought, well, maybe I'll be Harper Lee and uh, just go into retirement now. So that was very, very hard. Uh, uh, but, you know, I overcame it. I, I've got a wonderful and supportive family and uh, and I, I sort of taught my way through it. But it was the most unexpected reaction. I mean, you know, you, you expect people to be, you know, going out buying Ferraris and, and having a, a high old time, you know, drinking beer, playing Skittles uh, and that. But it wasn't like that at all. It really shocked me. I was not prepared in any way, shape or form. I really wasn't. I used to go to bed every night and some nights I'd think, you know, this is going to be a huge success. But mostly other nights I'd say, this is going to be a total embarrassment. This really is. I had no idea, so I wasn't prepared. As far as cancel culture is concerned, in Locust, nobody is described by race, physical appearance... <laughs> or anything else. I, it, it's so hard to write. And I just don't need, you know, to to go through that mill. Uh, you know, I think I'm a relatively sensitive and decent person. I try to be. And I don't fancy being cancelled because <laughs> I've used the wrong terms about things. So I made a very conscious decision. Um, you don't know who's black, white, Asian, whatever. You, the, yes, the, the main character is in a loving relationship with a woman. They're not actually married. Um, and, you know, we assume they're heterosexual. Beyond that, nothing's really made specific. Um is the book worse for it? No. Is the book better for it? Not particularly, but I feel happier. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We talked in the previous pod, um, Terry, about the the odd people that are drawn to the secret world of of spies. So, so we should ask the question: Do you think you could have been a spy? Oh no, I talk too much, far too much. I, I've got I've got opinions, and um, and I'm not particularly shy in in sharing them. No, the in the casting of Pilgrim. Uh, Matthew Vaughan, film director of, you know, Kingsman, but Leia Cake, many good films. He said, you know, you've got to be very careful in casting it. You cast Brad Pitt and the whole audience is sitting there thinking, oh, who's Brad Pitt? And they're wondering why the rest of the characters are not saying, oh, look at him. He's handsome. He's this. Spies really need 
to live in the background. And um, for better or for worse, I I don't live in the background. You know, I I, I don't know. I, as I talk too much, and uh, and you know, I like clothes. Uh, I'd be not the best dressed spy, but I'd give it a lot of attention mm. and I'd think, no, I'm not wearing this. I don't care if I do have to go into Iran. I would like a decent shirt, if you don't mind. <laughs> so, no, I am really not spy material. Too smart and too gobby. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, as someone who knows a good screenplay, do you have a favourite screen adaptation of a book? Gee, that's tough. Yeah, A Graduate was a great screen adaptation from a book. I'm not sure if Midnight Cowboy was a book, but that's a hell of a good good screenplay. Wow. And that in, in more modern times, it's not an adaptation of one particular book, but I thought Christopher Nolan did a great, fantastic job with Oppenheimer, a drawing, you know, from I'm sure many, many different sources. Um, there, there was a book it was based on. It, it was, yeah. yes. So, so, so yes, so that, I mean, they stand out. Um, Barbie, I thought, was a very good movie and a very good screenplay, but I don't know whether a toy <laughs> counts as an adaptation or not. It's an IP, isn't it? Yeah. Um, how how do you order your bookshelves, Terry? Are they in, are they by author? Are they by topic? Are they by colour? We've had all of those. They're in boxes. They're in boxes. They're in boxes. That's somewhere here in England waiting for my wife and I to find where we want to live. So I did a mate with all of the books thousands of them because being a young migrant child uh, and very lonely, my books ended up becoming, when I could afford to buy them, becoming really my best friends. And I used to order them by Penguin Classics, Penguin Red, and then unsourced material, you know, which was not, you know, a, a definitive spine on it. But, um, yes, I did a major cull in, New Ze in the house in New Zealand and uh, I decided, well, a lot of these books, the, you know, the glue had come apart, the pages were falling out, so... It took weeks. Why? Because I sat down and I started to I think, I'll just have a look at this. And I was amazed at how many passages I'd highlighted, I'd underlined. And, and that. I didn't even remember doing it. And that. So it was really a journey back in time. And I thought, God, did I think that was really good? I guess I did. And that. So, yeah, so it was interesting. But one day they will come out of boxes early next year, we're hoping. If you hadn't been uh, a successful writer or a successful screenwriter, what would you have been, do you think? Was there like a family tradition? Did you have something that you wanted to be when you were a kid? And um, I, No, there was no family tradition. Uh, my, my father had worked in a bank. My mother was a, you know, a, a stay-at-home housewife. So there was no family tradition. I would have been an architect. I, I, I think there's great similarities. Not, not, not I hope not a bad architect. I would have hoped to have been a really good architect uh, because the thing is many similarities, uh, the problem solving, the complexities of a really great piece of architecture, the fact that like in a book or in a great movie, you take the, 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 the reader or the audience member or the visitor to the building through an experience without them being conscious of it. 
once they start to see the strings moving and the puppets dancing around, it just all goes to hell. And we know this. When you go into a really great building, you're not looking at it and saying, well, that's very clever, those celestry windows up there, or, wow, isn't that a lovely sculptural shape? No, you walk in and you get an emotional feeling. You feel at peace or you feel challenged or whatever. Now you're dealing with light and you're dealing with the movement through a space. It's not dissimilar to the movement through a narrative story. And I think great buildings tell a narrative but I couldn't draw. And back then they didn't have drawing programs. So that was that. That was the end of that. <laughs> have you ever tried to um, impress someone with a book? When I was younger, I used to walk around with a dog-eared copy of Francois Mauriac's book in the original French, in my, just, just just in case uh, uh, it, I, I was able to impress um, impress a girl with it. It never worked. But have, have you ever tried to do the same? I, I read all of Hermann Hesse. I did. Boy, that was... That was a grind. But when you're 17 or 18 and wearing John Lennon glasses and flared trousers and going on anti-war demonstrations and that, I mean, you can't take, you know, Shogun along, can you? <laughs> I, I mean, you're never going to get anywhere, even though that's what you're secretly reading. So, yes, I could quote a lot of Hermann Hesse. Um, I couldn't quote Nietzsche because I didn't understand it, but I would have liked to. I'd not understand it. I would have liked to have been able to, to quote it. Um, I've always remembered that Jean-Paul Sartre uh, quote, you know, hell is other people. And uh, that always came in in useful at parties, um, especially if it was a bad party. You could say that to some girl. As, as you say, it doesn't work. Uh, women are far more intelligent than 17 yeah. or 18-year-old boys give them credit for. Finally, Terry, you are throwing a fantasy literary dinner party and you can invite three authors, living or dead. Who's coming? Harper Lee. I want to know how much of To Kill a Mockingbird she wrote. And what did the editor do? And was it the fact that she didn't think she could do it again because the editor had so much influence on it? I'm not saying that's the case. I'd just like to know the answer because I understand why Salinger never wrote or never published another book. Uh, you, you read Catcher in the Rye and you, you get an idea of where he's coming from and you think, oh, yeah, all right. And that... so. I'd like I I'd like to 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 invite Harpley. I'd like to invite Joseph Heller because of Catch Twenty Two, and that and I think that's a crazy, wild piece of of writing, and I I think that that was wonderful. And I'd invite James Clavell, a Shogun, because I'm not inflating myself here because I think Shogun was a brilliant book, but he had worked as a screenwriter. And he'd worked as a film producer in Hollywood and he'd turned to novels and he wrote what I think is a truly great novel and that. So I'd like to have a chat. Well, after I get finished with Harper Lee and and that, uh, I'd like to turn to him and ask about his experiences in Hollywood. So, you know, I suppose a lot of people would say that they'd like to, you know, have, you know, the Apostle John or, or somebody there and find out who really wrote the Bible who cares? Who cares who wrote it? I mean, it's the words on the page. So I, I'm sort of interested in in the in the background of of people of writers. So they would be my three choices. And as you describe your reaction to the how you coped with the success of the first book, are you or your family nervous about your reaction to the second book? 
No, to, to be really honest, no. Everybody's so exhausted by it. They're just pleased it's finished. It, 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 the kids as well. I mean, you know, I say to their mother, he's so irritable. <laughs> and she'd say, yeah, but he's sort of stuck. My younger son said, but can you be stuck every day of your life? <laughs> and that. So everybody's really pleased. And I, my 16-year-old son is quite a golfer and, and he's a very good golfer and to shut him up. I kept telling him, when I finish, you can buy a new set of golf clubs, a really good, you can go and have them measured, appetitless, you can do that. So, of course, every few days, he'd say, how are you going, Dad? How are you going? Done any more pages today? So the family are relieved. Um, it'll be what, the book will be what it will be. I, I take solace in, in one thing. I couldn't have done it any better. I couldn't have. It, it it took me to the limit. If it's no good, then it's because I couldn't do it better. It's not that I thought, well, I've got to get finished by next week and see you later. No, I, I did the best I could. Yeah. What more can I ask? Uh, Terry, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. The Year of the Locust by Terry Hayes, published by Transworld. Very nice people at Transworld, I have to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fine editing staff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can hear him discussing that book in detail in our other podcast. If you haven't got to that already, we'll be back next week. Thank you very much indeed for joining us.